It's time to hit the road. Leave it all behind and wonder where this journey will take you. Hello, Hosanna. My name is Eric, and I work on the Hosanna Student Ministries team. I had the privilege of leading 24 high school students to Guatemala. While there, they were impacted by Christ in their own lives while being used to impact the lives of others. Here are just a few thoughts we captured from Hosanna students on the road. Hello, Hosanna. I'm Caleb, and I'm on the Hosanna Impact trip in Guatemala right now. And I've seen God here through the ability to play soccer with them and just have fun with them through the soccer ball as you guys have donated. One thing that impacted me on this trip is just seeing that two different cultures come together to just love Jesus. Something that has really impacted me on this trip here is watching the kids here smile and seeing them interact with the other kids on the trip and just sharing the love of God with them. Well, good morning again, everyone. Are you impressed with our Hosanna students? I am. I love to hear what's going on there. And think about it, I mean, their friends, as they give up a week uh, to go to Guatemala, their friends maybe were working or playing traveling sports or playing Pokemon Go or whatever they're doing, to go to serve the poor and empower the poor and advance God's kingdom in Guatemala. And I just say, way to go, Hosanna students, uh, for serving and impacting like that. I want to say way to go to all of you as well who are joining us, uh, those of you in Shakopee, those of you in Lakeville, those of you online. I know some of you are on road trips even right now, somewhere really fun. We're not jealous, but we do want you to invite us next time, okay? Uh, so we hope you're having a great time uh, if you're joining us somewhere else. And then there are some of you who are joining us from five to ten minutes up the road from Hosanna Shakopee or Hosanna in Lakeville. And if that's you, maybe you're sick, maybe you're checking us out, that's fine. Uh, but if you're not, Come on down next, next weekend and join us live because we're on a road trip and road trips are better when we are together side by side. Amen? So we'd love to see you. Love to see you. So we're going to get into this road trip series in just a little bit. And as um, I think you're getting a sense for, this, this series has some excitement and some momentum to it. But, but first, I'm feeling led to uh, just share some pastoral reflections about the troubling and tragic events over the last few weeks, uh, if you would allow me to do that with you. There's been a lot going on. In fact, on Thursday, I had some, Thursday's the last day of my work week, and then I take Fridays off. On Thursday, I had some reflections written to share with you, and then um, and then between Thursday and Saturday morning, when I start, started working again, it's like the whole world had changed, right? I mean, it, does, it feels that way, doesn't it? Um, and what happened in that amount of time, uh, there was the, the terrorist attack in Nice, France. There was, you know, the attempted coup in Turkey. And, and just this morning, uh, I read it online, two police officers were, were killed in Baton Rouge just this morning. And so um, there's, there's a lot going on. And, and so I just want to speak to you pastorally for a few moments. I know that there are a lot of, a lot of feelings that are being stirred up right now based on everything that's going on. A lot of feelings stirred up in your hearts. I mean, we can almost get numb to it. We don't want to get numb to it, right? And so those feelings come, those feelings of fear and anxiety and um, those, those feelings of sadness and those feelings of even con- you know, concern or maybe, maybe even some anger about what's happening. And so pastorally, I, I want to say to you, first of all, uh, that, that whatever you're feeling, they're valid feelings. Okay? I want to validate those feelings. Sometimes we make the mistake of saying, well, just you know, stuff those feelings or deny those feelings. Or, 
it's not a helpful or healthy thing to do. We've got to deal with the feelings first. And so that's where many of you are right now. And so, so hear me on uh, my heart that th- those feelings, are, they're, they're real. Uh, but from there, um, we, we also have to know and ask, what do we do with those feelings? Um, just as an example of, of how it is understandable that some people might be feeling uh, some anxiety and fear, uh, I talked to a woman last night who has multiple family members who are police officers. Do you think she's feeling a little anxious right now? And understandably so. Um, and I want to take this opportunity to thank police officers for how you're serving in our community during this time right now. It's never an easy job, but it's, re- it's really the case right now. And, and even our police officers on our campuses, make sure you go out of your way to thank them. Um, I already have this morning. So those feelings, what do we do with them? The first thing, Pastor Lee, I would say to you in any situation with any feeling is, is go to Jesus. I point you to Jesus. What are his words? What are his ways? And in response to each of those feelings, the fear and anxiety that we might be feeling right now for, for all kinds of reasons. Jesus says in John 16, he says, in this world there will be trouble. Right? So God's not surprised that there's trouble. As followers of Jesus, we shouldn't be surprised when there's trouble. God's still on the throne. It doesn't surprise him. Right? But then Jesus says, in this world there will be trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus says. He's overcome all of the stuff that we're dealing with. He's overcome it. See, our hope is not in the world. Our hope is not in the troubles of this world. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, and the eternal reality that he has made possible, (laughs) where even scripture talks about one day a new heaven and a new earth will come together. That is our perspective and our hope. That's where our our hope is in Jesus Christ, (laughs) always. And then the fear. There's this verse in 2 Timothy 1.7 that says, we have not as followers of of Christ, have not been given a spirit of fear. We've been given a spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. Hear that. That's for you. And then peace. Peace. I love it when I heard heard someone say this once, that the first words of the kingdom are peace be with you. you. It's the first thing that Jesus says to his disciples after he appears to them post-resurrection. He says to them, peace be with you. Hear that. God's peace be with you. He says, my peace I give to you. Not like the world gives, but like only God can give. So peace to you. And then the sadness that we feel. There is sadness. I love your hearts, that your hearts are breaking for people who, whose hearts are breaking right now. And uh, there's a, a verse in Romans 12 that says, mourn with those who mourn. As followers of Jesus, we mourn with those who mourn doesn't go on to say only those we agree with or only those that we have the same political views with or only those mourn. There are no parameters or you know, barriers around that mourn with those who mourn. So as followers of Jesus, we, we do mourn with all those who mourn. We, we, we mourn with the, the friends and family of all those people who just last month lost their loved ones at an Orlando nightclub. We mourn with them. We, we as, as followers of Jesus, we mourn with the family and friends of Philando Castile. As, as followers of Jesus, we, we mourn with the friends and family of the police officers in Dallas who lost their lives, and, and the two this morning. We, we mourn with the 84, you know, the family and friends of the 84 people who died in that Nice terrorist attack. We, we mourn with the family and friends of, I just heard this stat recently, half a million people who have died since this, the crisis in Syria began. 
We mourn with those who mourn. Jesus wept for the friends and family of Lazarus after he died, and we, don't, we join Jesus in mourning. And then the, the concern or the anger that we feel, what do we do with that? As followers of Jesus who receive this peace, a peace that only can, God can give, we then become people who, who bring peace, who share peace. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they are the children of God. Hear that? And we know that sometimes it's a struggle to get to peace and that's what it takes sometimes. We understand that. But ultimately, as God's children, as followers of Jesus, we are praying for peace. We are bringing peace. We are peacemakers. We are peace carriers. We are people of peace, even on Facebook. And certainly face-to-face, wherever we go. You know, it's, it's very natural, it's human nature to start taking sides during a time like this. And, and there are debates and there are different views and there are different opinions and that's, there's a time and a place for all of that. But as followers of Jesus, there's only one side that we take and it's God's side. Do you know what God's side looks like? It looks like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He loves the world and we as his followers were praying that his kingdom would come. That what does this world need more than anything else? Jesus, the hope of Jesus Christ, the God's kingdom to come and, and to come through us and to come to us and come to this world. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. amen. Let's pray for this world that God loves so much and that we do too as his followers. Lord, we thank you that you have demonstrated your love for us in Jesus, that you love this world and, and we're on that world too. You love each and every one of us. God, we ask that you would continue to bring your peace to situations that are currently unfolding and have recently happened tragically. Lord, we ask for protection over all those who serve and who find themselves in vulnerable positions and, and unsafe situations, Lord. Bring your protection, Lord. We pray that, that you would continue to comfort those who mourn. Wrap your arms of love around them, Lord. And lastly, we ask, it's a bold prayer. We need your courage. We need your spirit. We need that, that perfect love that casts out all fear. May we stand as kingdom people who are not ultimately deterred by fear, but we stand ready to be the peacemakers that you've called us to be, Lord, through our prayers, through our actions, through our lives. We understand that there's sometimes a struggle that needs to take place between here and peace, but Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done through our lives to this world. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen, amen. We needed to spend a little time together there, but we are on a road trip here at Hosanna, okay? Make no mistake about it. In all kinds of ways, including in this series, we're on a road trip, and it's why we have a car up here. This is a 59 Nomad, and some of you, you had a car like this. Some of you wish you did. You know, it's a commandment not to envy someone else's 59 Nomad, all right? Um, But I don't know what car you think of when you think of childhood road trips, but I think of this bad boy right up here. That is my family's car. That is a 1980 Plymouth Volari, all right? 
And uh, that, was our, that was our station wagon growing up, and we used to ride in the back without seat belts. Those were the good old days, weren't they? <laughs> and you'd just sleep in the back, and, uh, and I remember going to drive-ins and the road trips that we would take. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe there's a car, or maybe there's a specific road trip from your childhood, but lots of stuff happens on road trips. And Pastor Julia, who kicked off this message last weekend, and did she ever, uh, just a powerful message. I'm still thinking about what it means for for my life, honestly. Uh, But she kicked it off. She talked about three things that happen on road trips. One, uh, we we get an expanded vision of the world when you go on a road trip, right? If you've ever been on a trip, that happens. Uh, We get a more accurate view of ourselves, you know, who we are. We get away from all the noise and the expectations. Like, we see ourselves more clearly. And then the third thing that happens is we connect with others. It's just easier, and we connect at a deeper level with people when we go on a road trip. It's why our family tries to go on as many road trips as we can, because you get away from all the busyness and the hustle and bustle, and you can really just be with each other. And our hope in this series is, is that you would have that experience. Each time we talk about a a, a biblical character that goes on a road trip, you too would have an expanded vision of the the world and of God. It might even surprise you, like, oh, I'd never quite seen God that way before. Unless you have a perfect, you know, vision and and, and understanding of who God is, you're probably going to be surprised from time to time. I know I am. And and then hopefully you get a more accurate view of, of who you are, more honest view of who you are on this road trip. We all need that. I know I do. And then we hope that you connect with people more and more as this summer goes on, as this road trip goes on. That's what road trips do. Our family took a road trip to Michigan a couple weeks ago. And uh, if you don't know, we have three boys, 10, 6, and 2. This road trip was 12 hours drive time. We did it the way, on the way there in two days. On the way back, we did it in one day. Did I mention that we had a two-year-old? One day, um, we made the drive back. And uh, we, we miraculously survived, and I'm here to tell you about it. We broke every rule in the you know, book of parenting when it comes to screen times and fast food. And, I mean, just to keep them quiet, right? We kept going. We were going to make it home. And actually, it went pretty well, honestly. Uh, but ironically, it was just a couple days later on the ride home from a 4th of July party, which was 15 minutes from home, where everything just fell apart, you know? I don't know if this happens to you, but you maybe you've heard the saying that most accidents, car accidents, happen within a mile of your home. Same is true of family meltdowns, I think, because that's what happened. We were leaving this 4th of July party early, and, uh, and we left before the fireworks happened. What do you mean? You're, you're already taking their side in this. But they weren't just like, oh. They were like throwing a mute. I mean, they were like, they were just incensed. Okay, and, uh, and we told them we had to leave early because we both had to work early. Jen and I had to work the next morning, so really, to work for you, by the way, so it's your, your fault. But uh, when we tried to tell them that, we tried to tell them that, but they weren't buying it. And they're just going off, like one of them said, I have never missed the fireworks before, you know, in my whole life, 10 years. And then, and then which isn't even true. And the other, the other one said, the other one said, this is the worst day ever. Not the worst 4th of July ever, but the worst day of his life, right? Just be glad you weren't there. Maybe some of you would have liked this. You probably would have liked to see the front row seat to the pastor's family falling apart. Anyway, here's who I'm telling you the story. Okay, what, what do you do when it feels like, or maybe it actually is, the worst day of your life? I mean, what, what do you do when it feels like life is kind of unraveling or melting down or you're on a road trip and, it, and you're on a broken road? What do you do? What do you do when, when those broken road 
moments happen. Well, the story we're going to look at today, the story of Hagar, gives us both some inspiration and some insight into what to do when we find ourselves on the broken road. Okay, that's how this is kind of be organized, going to be organized. We're going to look at Hagar's story and then draw some inspiration from it for our own broken road experiences and some insight into our broken road experiences. You up for that? Okay. Genesis 16 is where we're going in the Bible. Uh, we bring our Bibles, whether it's an actual Bible with pages in or your phone, you've got some on your devices, uh, but we're, we're bringing our Bibles these days because we believe that there's power in getting into the Word, that lives change, good things happen. And so if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to rectify that and, and have you uh, just grab one on the way out and take one. It's yours on the carts by each of the main doors. The story of Hagar in Genesis 16, little background, okay? Who's Hagar? Hagar is connected to Abram. We heard about Abram last week. Again, Pastor Julia, the message, when God says go, get out of our comfort zones and go, and Abram did that. Abram has a wife, Sarai, and Sarai had a servant named Hagar. So Hagar is Sarai's servant or slave. Now, in the passage or the chapter right before the one we're going to look at, and we're actually going to read the whole chapter this morning, uh, God makes this promise to Abram that he will have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. That's a lot. That's a, that's, a, that's a great promise. Now, you can maybe understand why Abram and Sarah are getting a little unsettled by that promise because they are 86 and 76 years old, respectively, and they haven't had a kid yet. Right? So that's where we pick up the story. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal, without giving it a second thought, apparently. Okay, so Sarai... Abram's wife took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. Let's just stop there for a second. Pull out some tidbits, including, I already alluded to it, has a man ever been quicker to obey his wife than Abram was in this story? <laughs> he didn't say, let me pray about it, let me think about it. Okay, just, yeah, yes. Right? Now, I don't want to gloss over this part either, because it's, it's relevant for us today. Hagar was, and we heard this reference 10 years earlier in Egypt, that what happened with Abram and Sarai is when they got to the, the promised land, shortly thereafter there was a famine, they, so they went down into Egypt. While they were in Egypt, Pharaoh gave them some gifts, including some human slaves, some slaves. Hagar was one of them. And so what we see here 4,000 years ago is an example, a story of human trafficking, Hagar is a human commodity. She is powerless. She is being taken against her will. She has, she has no say over her life. Now, 4,000 years ago, maybe that was more accepted culturally. We don't accept human trafficking or slavery today, but did you know that there are 20, currently today 21 million victims in our world today of human trafficking? People who are powerless over their lives, who are being taken against their will, and they are being traded and sold. Do you think God would want us to do something about that? I think so. The other relevant connection for us is, do you see it happening here? It's very subtle. But here we have Abram and Sarai, and they have been waiting for God to fulfill his promise that they would have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. 
They've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. But at this point, they're getting a little impatient with waiting on God. So what do they do? They take matters into their own hands. At least Sarai proposes this. Hey, God is not really you know, able to fulfill that promise, so let's help him out. And let's try it this way with Hagar. So again, it's subtle, but this shift happens, shift happens in our lives too where we go from waiting on God's help to thinking, I'll just help God out. I'll, I'll help him out. I'll speed things up a little bit. Do we ever do this? I think we do. We get impatient. We get tired of waiting. And we think, well, God's not, I'm gonna just help him out a little bit. And things usually don't go well. In fact, I would say virtually always they do not go well. In fact, it leads to a broken road when we try to help God out versus waiting for his help. Verse four, but when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. All right, we'll come back to that. I put my servant into your arms, and now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. All right, so first of all, we got Hagar, who remember, she is a slave. She's being trafficked, and she has no power over her life, except for she gets pregnant And isn't it interesting, and I think this is true of human nature, whether we have little power or lots of power. As soon as Hagar has a little power, what does she start to do? She starts to exert her power over other people. I I think this happens in, in, in many instances with power and human nature. Even though she had no, now she has a little power, so I'm gonna hold this over, Sarah, because she can't get pregnant. But then, did you, just let me read it again. Sarah to Abram, this is all your fault. <laughs> Remember, the story, you're following the story here. Sarai told Abram to sleep with her servant. And now she's saying, it's your fault. Do you ever feel like you just can't win? <laughs> you ever feel like, no matter, darned if I do, darned if I don't, right? That's probably how Abram's feeling here. And then, and then Sarai does something that I think we all can fall into And that is she starts playing the blame game. Blame game. Whose fault is it? We're going to figure out whose whose fault it is. You know the blame game? It's your fault. No, it's your fault. 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 Point the finger. Blame game. Here's Here's the thing about the blame game. The blame game is a game that never ends. It just keeps going and going and going and going and going. It never ends until something happens. I had this thought as, as we were worshiping earlier. It's like, how much of our lives and how much time with our loved ones do we spend playing this blame? How much time do we waste playing this blame game? I can think about my own life. The only way for this blame game to end, this cycle to end, is for someone, it just takes one, usually, one person to stop pointing the finger outward and turn the finger around and point it at ourselves, his or herself to point the finger back and say, okay, I obviously didn't cause all of this, but I'm gonna own my part. I'm gonna stop playing the blame game and I'm gonna own my part and I'm gonna take responsibility for what I need to take responsibility for. That's the only way the blame game can can end or the cycle can be broken. And and here's, you know, if you were feeling like, I I wanna be one of those people, here's what's true about people who can break the blame game cycle. They need to be pretty secure and self-confident. Because in order to stop playing the blame game, you do have to look at yourself, and people keep playing the blame game when they're insecure and lack confidence because as long as they're blaming other people, then they don't have to look at themselves. See? 
but people who are secure. This is my heart for you as a pastor, is that you would be secure enough in who you are and your identity in Jesus Christ as a child of God. You're secure in that. You're anchored in that. Your hope is built on nothing less. And so when we all need to take a moment to go, you know what, I have something to own in this, we can do it because it takes a secure person. Sarai was not a secure person, and so she couldn't do it. Verse six, Abram replied, look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. He's like, what do I say? I don't know. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. She says it right there. I'm running away. I think it is so interesting that the angel of the Lord asked this question. Where are you coming from and where are you going? And, and Hagar, her response is only to the, half the question. She says where she's coming from. I'm running away. But she doesn't say anything about where she's going, which means she has no idea where she's going. And I just wonder if that's the very definition of, of running away from something. Is when you can say what you're running from, but you can't really articulate where you're going. Running away. And Hagar is running away from her problems. Now hear me, there are times when it is the safest, wisest thing to do not to go back somewhere. And you could even make the case. God does tell her to go back, but you could even make the case here, well, she's a slave and she's been treated harshly, but, but God does have her go back to deal with the problems that she's running away from. We have a tendency to run away. We have a tendency to run away. We know where we're, we're coming from, but we don't know where we're going. We're running, we're running away. You've maybe heard the saying before, you can't outrun your problems. It's true. You think you're running away from them, leaving them behind, and it just follows you. Just follows you, unless you deal with the problems. Whether it's a relational issue or a character issue. I see this with couples all the time. They'll break up, and, and what caused that breakup, they don't really deal with. They go on to the you know, next relationship, and then it's like the same thing. Why? Because they haven't gone back to deal with it. They're still running, running away. I just ask you, pastorally, what might you be running away from? What is it maybe in your past or some character issue? You, know, you just keep running, and it just doesn't go. Because you, sometimes you've got to go back to go forward. Do you hear what I'm saying? Sometimes you've got to go back and deal with the problems, deal with the issues, so that you can move forward in your life. And more than we realize, I think we all could afford to really reflect on that question, what do I need to go back? Just this morning, in my prayer time, I was journaling some things. I need to go back, not physically, but I need to go back and, and kind of ask God's you know, healing for, and, and even just to confess some pride. And so, I need to go back in order to go forward. See, if we, if we are running away from something, it will just keep making broken roads, and that's know, what's going on here. The angel of the Lord, verse 9, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. Remember this promise in chapter 15 was made to Abram, a similar promise, and now this promise has been, this is remarkable, being made to Hagar. And then the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress, Hagar. The son of yours will be a wild man as untamed as a wild donkey. 
He will raise his fist against everyone and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives, which by the way, this prediction has been proved true over and over again for the last 4,000 years in that region. Um, But it's also true of human nature. Apparently, you know, ethnic divisions and conflict and, and religious differences and conflict around, nothing new, it's been happening for 4,000 years. Verse 13, thereafter Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord, I love this, who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Baher Lahai Roy E which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Now, how many of you are 80 or older? You don't have to raise your hand. How'd you be feeling about going back to diapers right now? I'm just, that's what's happening. They were excited. They've been waiting for a long time, so maybe you'd be Okay. But, but here, here's, here's the story. Hagar finds herself on a broken road. She's, she's a slave. She's powerless. She's been treated harshly by her mistress. She's on a broken road. But that's not where the story ends. Right? God, God finds her on her broken road and starts to bring her from her broken road experience to a new road. And this is where that I told you we'd draw some inspiration for our own broken road experiences or maybe our loved one's broken road experiences. Inspiration from Hagar's story. There are four things I think we can draw inspiration from. One is that God finds her on her broken road. God finds her. God hears her. God sees her. And God blesses, blesses her on her broken road. And that's what makes it possible for Hagar in this profoundly broken experience to go from broken road to new road. Be inspired by this. Because whatever your broken road experience is, if it's maybe a pothole, you know, a few potholes, or maybe it's a, it's a whole detour that's gonna last six months long, hear, hear that God finds you on your broken road. God hears you. You might be crying out, I don't know if anyone hears me. God does. He sees you. You think, for all kinds of reasons, I'm like invisible. No one, God sees you. He sees right into your life. He sees right into your heart. He sees you. You. Right here, right now. And then he blesses, he blesses you on your broken road. Now here in this, this part of uh, this stage of the message, I had really hoped that I'd be able to say, the band's gonna come out and sing that song by Rascal Flats, God Bless the Broken Road. And trust me, I tried, okay? I even played the lead pastor, lead pastor card. Like, no, that's a song about, you know, people, you know, two people, romance and all that. I'm like, I don't care, I love the song, okay? So I'm gonna sing it. No. <laughs> no. But, but the idea that God blesses the broken road. Some of you have lived this. I know I have. How many of you would say this about a period in your life? That you, you would never want to go through that again, but you wouldn't trade it for the world. How many of you have an experience like that? I do. 
because of how God worked in the midst of that, how God did find and how God did hear and how God did see and how God did bless in the most difficult of circumstances and situations. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Tony preached another great message from one of our pastors. Do we have a deep team here at Hosanna of preachers? I feel like we do. And I'm glad you're getting to know them uh, like I am, like I know them. But he, he said this, and it's not really a joke when you live in Minnesota, but it's a comment. He said there are two seasons in Minnesota. There's winter and there's road construction. <laughs> See, it's not funny. It's not funny to us Minnesotans. But here's the thing. In God's kingdom, it is always road construction season. In God's kingdom, it is, and this is good news, it is always road construction season. There is never a road that is too broken with God. There's never a road that is beyond repair. There's never a life or a road that is beyond hope with God. It is always road construction season. Why? Because God can find you, God hears you, God sees you, and he can bless you. Hear that. Be inspired, be inspired by that. If this is your story right now or someone you love, that God blesses and it's always road construction season. Be inspired. Now, I also said there that we could draw some insight, okay? And really it's just going back to Hagar's story. And these are fill in the blanks if you want to. But what, what insight can we gain from Hagar's story and her broken road experience? One is to ask the question, are you seeking God's help or helping God out? Are you, playing the, are you playing the blame game, the one that never ends, never ends? Uh, Jen and I, in our, last night I said 10 years of marriage. We've been married 16 years, so I quickly caught myself. 16 years, we have found that our conflict cycles usually are centered around this idea of blaming. And it isn't until we say, you know what, I'm going to own my part, that it starts to move forward. Where do you need to go back to go forward? And then what is your construction zone what is your construction zone because in God's kingdom it is always road construction season and maybe it's your life maybe there's a growing edge maybe there's a rough edge maybe there's a character thing maybe there's something in the past you gotta go back like you said in the grow up series the best thing you can do to help others grow is to grow up yourself and we're all growing or maybe your construction assignment is someone else's life right now Maybe your road's relatively smooth and, and so people around you. Something that gets me up in the morning, you've heard me say this before, is the reality that people are literally and spiritually dying out there and their roads are broken and they need hope and they need to know that, they, that God, there's a God who can move them from a broken road to a new road in their lives. Who are those people that are beside you, your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, even in your families? But it's not just the people out there, it's the people in here too. Last week, I prayed for two people within five minutes who had just been diagnosed with cancer. Oh, my road feels broken. I met with a guy named Joe this past week, and, and he said he comes early to pray oftentimes, and, and when he prays, he just senses that there are many people who are here, in here, who are, are experiencing all kinds of pain and brokenness and hardship, and it's in here. Would you know that you're not alone, that God finds you, he hears you, he sees you, he blesses you, even now? And it's all made possible. You know, you know how, how it's made possible? Jesus comes. God comes as a construction worker. I mean, literally, he's a, we usually think he's a carpenter. He was a tecton, which means he did construction all over Galilee. 
For the first 15 to 20 years of his, his adult life, he, was, he, he, he did construction, literally. And then about age 30, he traded his hammer in for eventually a cross. But he wasn't done constructing. He wasn't done building. He wasn't done restoring lives. In fact, he was just getting started. <laughs> and on the cross, Jesus does this construction work. He takes the blame. He doesn't run away. He doesn't take matters into his own hands. He goes to the cross so that we can know that a broken road can become a new road, that your broken road can become a new road. Now, you're all dying to know what happened that 4th of July night, aren't you? Yeah? Like three of you are, but I'm going to tell you anyway. So as we were pulling, the kids were just, I mean, they were about ready to throw us out of the car, and, and, and we're coming in to our hometown, and, and just as we were pulling in, uh, the fireworks, local fireworks started going off. And so we pulled into the parking lot to watch it. It was almost like we had planned it. We even told them that we had planned it, which was, <laughs> wasn't totally true, but God had planned it, right? And we had the best seat, you know, we had, and then we could leave right away, didn't have to wait for all the traffic. It was like the best 4th of July ever, you know, as we watched the fireworks. God can do that. The broken roads, the meltdowns, the road trips gone bad. God can take those and put us onto a new road where there's hope and restoration and even a magical 4th of July fireworks display. I want to leave you with this verse from Isaiah because I think it's a promise for us who are in Christ. Hear this. For, but for those who are righteous, the way is not steep and rough. You are a God who does what is right and you smooth out the path ahead of them. If you want to claim that for your life, for our communities, for our families, for our country, for our world, would you just say amen right now? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have come, that you so love the world, that you gave your one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but, but have eternal life. And we thank you, Lord, that you have made it possible. You have done the construction work. You are the greatest construction worker ever and that you have taken broken roads and turned them into new roads that lead on into eternity. And Lord, we pray that that would happen for people in this room, God, who are in on all kinds of broken roads. Lord, that they would know that you see them, that you hear them, that you find, you're blessing them even now. And then we, may we be construction workers in your kingdom, that we would go out there and bring that hope and bring that message of your good news in your kingdom, Lord. Your kingdom is coming to rebuild the roads that were broken but are now being made new. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Please stand at both campuses for a closing blessing. And as the Spirit moves amongst us and, and in your hearts, I, I would just invite you to consider, I, I think this would bless God's heart if, if you're feeling tugged to, to pray to pray with somebody or after the service or maybe have someone pray with you or for you. We have trained prayer ministers up front or in the prayer room. would love to pray with you. It just feels like right now with everything that going on, going on, one of the best, if not the best things we can do is just be praying for God's world that his kingdom would come. Now receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week for Road Trip.